Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to talk about a Francis Chan message video we just saw. Someone actually sent it to me and asked me what I thought about it. And it's a conversation really about are there people in church who are considering themselves Christians who actually will end up in hell? Mm -hmm. I think the title on that video, not that Chan named it this, but uh, it was uh, some Christians are going to go to hell. Yeah, Chan never used the word Christians in that capacity. He said people who are sitting in a church building on a Sunday, yeah, regularly, yeah, that will go to hell. Who are not actually Christians, right? Pretty incendiary, but they yeah. might be thinking they're Christians, and they exactly. He yes. said, "Yeah, we'll get into it." But his fear was that people who are sitting in church thinking because of what they've been taught that they are saved. When, in fact, they're not. Right. And they're going to find out too late. That's awesome. So this is going to be a great conversation. Yeah. And um, I think it'll be thought-provoking for us, and hopefully we can reach some some, uh, some clarity moving forward. Hope so. But first, it is story time and or joke time, and it is your turn. It's my turn. And I don't have a joke. You know, I, I need to think about that because I, I, I like telling I jokes. I think we've only ever told one or two. Yeah, we need to tell more jokes. I, stories are more grabbing to me because a joke is like, oh, funny. Yeah, thing. But the story, you know, you got your hook, you reel them in. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell a golf story, and it uh, does occur to me suddenly that I have hundreds of golf jokes. <laughs> but hundreds. 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 I think hundreds. Yeah. I don't. I don't okay. Maybe a hundred. Okay. Uh, not a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let me tell you a golf story. So we were living in Texas, mm-hmm. and so you were you were not yet born. Um, at this time of the story. Okay. And um, what I did was I uh, I wanted all the pastors in my little town to lock our arms together and have good relationship mm-hmm. and maybe God could get us to align our hearts and efforts and see something significant happen in our town. So uh, what our church did was we bought them all a copy of a book, the same book that we would all read ahead of time, and invited them out to a pastor's retreat at this uh, place on a lake that had a golf course, and we had a cabin. And uh, so I think there was uh, maybe eight pastors that went. And you our church the book was? Uh, yes. It was, a, it was a book called The Life-Giving Church. Hmm. I believe that was the name of it by a guy named Ted Haggard, who's got a whole complicated story after this. So, oh, shoot. I hate uh, that. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> great book. And... So we read that book ahead of time. We went there. And so uh, one of the things we did was we we talked a lot, prayed a lot, ate, and we also played. And so we're playing golf together. And so uh, we're playing this thing in golf called Bingo, Bango, Bongo. <laughs> and what that is is... You say that sometimes, don't you? Bingo, Bango, Bongo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so in your foursome there, uh-huh. uh, you get a point if your ball is the first one on the green. Okay. And then you get a point after all the balls are on the green. You get a point if your ball is closest to the hole. Okay. And th- that's bongo. So bingo is first one on the green. Bango is closest to the hole. And bongo is first one actually in the hole. Gotcha. So you could get th- there's three points available on every hole. So one person could get the bingo. They could get all three. The bingo, bango, bongo. Bingo, bango, bongo. 
<laughs> and so at the end of the round, whoever has the is, most this points. This is the world's most pristine like sport. Right? Hey, it's, it's a great game. It's game. a it's a great game. And bingo, bango, bongo. What's great about that is frequently the very best golfer will not win the bingo, bango, bongo points. So it's it it's an even playing field, no matter what your skill set is. That is nice. Yeah. Anyway, because what will happen is a guy will be off the green because he can't hit the green from very far out, but he's on the edge of the green. So then when he chips oh. onto the green, he's actually closest to the hole. And he gets the bango. He gets the bango. The most treasured of all the Yes. <laughs> and if he's closest to the hole and the other guys miss their putts, he could make the putt and be bongo as well. Yeah. Because they're further from the hole, so they're likely to be missing a putt. It's pretty good. Two out of three. Yeah. So... Bango bongo. Bango bongo out of a bingo bango bongo. Correct. So anyway, I've never had a hole in one ever. I, okay. I still would love to in my life. Oh, even to this day. I've never had The story one. is not about you getting a hole in one. It's not about me getting a hole in one. Okay. It's the next best thing. So uh, I'm in the cart with a pastor from First Baptist Church. And uh, I have, not First Baptist, but a Baptist church. And I have my ball sitting right next to the 100-yard marker. Mm-hmm. Right now, nobody's on the green yet. It's my turn to hit. And I told him, I'm going to knock this ball in the hole for bingo, bango, and bongo. And I take out a sand wedge, and I hit this thing a mile high. And it comes down and just, bam, directly into the hole and stayed there. Whoa. Didn't bounce out or anything? Didn't bounce out. And the the Baptist guy falls out of his cart. <laughs> he called it. He called it. That's like Babe Ruth. You're pointing, pointing Exactly. Exactly. So that's my greatest golf memory. My wow. greatest golf moment was a 100-yard shot right into the hole, and I told him I was going to do it. That's really impressive. And I got bingo, bango, bongo. Yeah. I got three points with that shot. <laughs> I always wonder what that plaque was in your office. It said, bingo, bingo, bongo. <laughs> yeah, I, you're making that up. I don't have one. Just to be clear, <laughs> uh, calling your shots is important. That when when you're a kid, especially and playing any any kid sports like playing, you know, uh, not that pool is a kid sport, but I remember when I was growing up. Anytime we were playing pool, and uh, and they'd make you call the shot first if you right. were to do anything because then you could make some crap yeah. shot and go that's what i was trying to do well that's all anything ever everyone ever did cool was on accident <laughs> yeah. so yeah yeah this is important stuff like shooting baskets if you, if you use the backboard you have to yell glass before the shot or else people think you missed the shot so badly it hit the backboard <laughs> but it happened to go in well and to be the rest of the story is in my lifetime i've called that shot probably a hundred times <laughs> this just happened to be one where it went in there you go. That makes sense. That makes a lot more sense. Now that yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a good story, though. There was one time uh, in uh, our church in Colorado. I was in middle school. It was pretty close to when we moved. So I was probably in eighth grade. And um, uh, people, it was in the youth group Wednesday night in the big auditorium. Yeah. And uh, people throwing a football around. And um, something happens to where it rolls to me. And I'm on clear the other side of the, of right. the, the auditorium. And there's a basketball goal at the other end. No, there's a guy. And he says, oh, hey, yeah. toss it back. And uh, and I've thrown football. You know, every Thanksgiving we'd throw the football. Sure. That's about it. That's, That's about it, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so I just, you know, wind up and throw the tightest spiral, perfect arc across the entire auditorium. And it lands right in his chest. It was crazy. And I looked around and he was like, whoa. Like, I, I hope like, everybody saw that. Yeah. Yeah, I felt that way too. And there's one other time. I'll, I'll tell both of my cool sports stories because there's only two of them. Oh, okay. I don't have hundreds. Okay. Uh, in the same auditorium where uh, 
Do you guys do you know that uh, they're like big fabric discs? It's like a, a squishy ring and then fabric across the middle, and it's like a giant fabric frisbee. It's probably no. about the size of a sled, and you throw it and it glides really, really far. No, I'm not. I don't they're, know. You know, it's like a youth group thing. Sure, it's just dumb. Anyway, someone threw one of those arcs across the auditorium again after before youth group or whatever, and it's coming towards me, and so I just decide to kick it. I kick it right on the thing. On the edge? Yeah, and it bounces clear back to him. <laughs> <laughs> like like a perfect arc right back and all yeah. the other kick it. And it was uh it was um Matt Morrison. Oh. And he was like, What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> and you were just wishing somebody happened to have been filming that with I their know. phone or something. Yeah. But honestly, it's the, it's one of those things where in my head I'm sure it's so much cooler. Than it was. Oh, so if that's I could, pretty cool. If man. I could see the video, yeah. I'd probably be like, oh, well. Yeah. So anyway, that's my two cool guy. Cool sports moments. Cool sports moments. And neither of them were actually in a sport. They were just <laughs> <laughs> goofing around in a youth group. Hand-eye coordination or something. Yeah. yeah. But there it is. That's good. All right. So, John, set us up. Tell, tell me about the Francis Chan video. Mm-hmm. I have watched it, and then I sent it to you, and you watched it. Yeah. Uh, walk me through what you heard. And what what the question is. Yeah, uh, it's a very challenging video. For me, it's very sobering. So we're going from, you know, laughing it up, getting our getting our yucks in to uh, to this. So really... Should we set up a, a link to this on our website somewhere where people can yeah. find it? Because they might want to... Because there's, there's dozens of Francis Chan videos. Sure. Uh, uh, I'll put it in uh, in our Twitter bio. If anyone, okay. Or sorry, uh, Instagram bio. Okay. If any of our listeners are on Instagram... Uh, and if not, we'll make a post about it on our on our website just so okay. you can see it. Uh, probably a blog post. Okay, yeah, let's we'll, do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you're right; it'd, it'd be best to hear the whole thing. But for me, the challenging part of this is that uh, a lot of the times with this, um, a person's heart isn't in the right place. You know, with saying anytime someone's saying one other person's going to hell, it's rarely in good conscience. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is from a very respected, um, by all accounts pretty very loving guy who knows the scripture uh and is doing this out of a conviction of love deep conviction yeah there's yeah. no anger no. there's no rage no. there's no judge condescension judgmentalism in him no legalism really right yeah but i'll read uh, I, I wrote it down um his opening opening line because it is important what he says he doesn't say christian he says uh i am deeply concerned even though you are sitting in a church building, some of you one day will go to hell to be tormented day and night forever and ever. He's very clear about it. Yeah. That, yeah. And um, basically he talks about this fear, like we said earlier, that uh, it has two fears, really. One, that people will go to their deathbed thinking they're saved and will find out too late that they aren't. And that people who know Jesus will doubt themselves every day. That they do not know Jesus. And so he says, There's, this is the tension I live in. Right. I don't want Christians who actually know Jesus to wallow in guilt and wonder, am I really saved? Am I really saved? But I also don't want people who think everything's fat, dumb, and happy with God to go to their eternal demise because they were wrong. Exactly. So that's why he, that's the motivator for this um, address he gave. Okay. Uh, I don't really know the context of it. Do you know? Of, no, he's standing in a church, but I don't know which one or how old the video is or. Yeah. So, uh. My thoughts on this, I listened to it on the, the drive over, um, was that uh, until now, if you read the Gospels, not and, and I believe, I think, I'm sure we both believe, 
uh, the Gospels are all accurate. Even in their differing accounts, it's accounts from different people who were at the same event. And they correlate enough to where it's actually evidence to the authenticity of them. Um, and so uh, John's Gospel is a lot more um, Messiah-centric. It's a lot more, he's here for us, believe in him and you will be saved. It's, it's kind of more simple. He only includes um, seven miracles, for example. Right. And, and he calls them signs. And they are signs that validate the messiahship of Jesus. Yeah, and it's a lot more um, uh, like specific sermons about you know about money. He doesn't really include those because all of it, most of his sermons are about who Jesus is as a person. Uh, the ones that he includes. So, um, and then and then you know Luke or or other more historical gospels go into a lot more detail. They have a little more nitty gritty. Um, like John doesn't include anything about Jesus before he meets John the Baptist. You know, he mm-hmm. doesn't do the the Christmas story because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's not what he's there for. But right. Luke goes into the genealogy. Right. So anyway, um, uh, I always like like I know that there is a tension between um, grace and obedience and righteousness, um, but I would never have gone as far to say as uh, if you claim the sacrifice of Jesus and lack righteousness that you are going to hell because the sacrifice of Jesus is so great. And he brings that to a head by saying, you know, some of you, he said, there's only one or two things you're going to hear at the end of your life. When you stand before God, well done, good and faithful servant, Mm -hmm. or apart from away from me, I never knew you, you evil one. Yeah. And he, or worker of evil or something. Yeah. He, and he quotes that too. And he actually, uh, addresses that, uh, concern of mine before, Oh, I mean, as I was coming up with it. So he quotes, um, sorry, let me pull it up here. Uh, yeah, he quotes that, that some of you will call out to me in the end times, Lord, Lord. Uh, and he'll say, I never knew you. Um, and then he quotes John that people say to him in this, in this kind of debate, he says, um, and John, you know, uh, um, 316, right? Yeah. For, for, God uh, so loved the world. He gave his only son mm-hmm. that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Right, exactly. And John brings that up a lot. But then later in the gospel, he brings up that John says um, that if you believe me, you, you will inherit life. And those who disobey me um, will will not. And so the idea there that if you believe him, you will obey him. And that you if you don't obey him, you don't truly believe him. Yeah. So um, all convicting stuff uh, for, for me. A lot of the my, my problems involve... Uh, the and it could just be the how the Western Church so much emphasizes grace, uh, and my upbringing is kind of at odds with this. But uh, it seems impossible, almost, how you would ever rest in the sacrifice of Jesus if you're constantly worrying: Am I not righteous enough? Am I not obedient enough? Because no one can be 100 percent obedient. If there is a line, where right. is that line? Exactly. And how do I know if I've crossed it or not? Right. Where if the the other end of the spectrum is to be believed. The line is as simple as dedicating or, or making a choice on how you feel about Jesus. And if you believe who he says he was, and that is an absolute, that is binary, you know, you do or you don't. Mm. And, and this other option, uh, you it know, it seems more fluid, radiant. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. So I'm trying to get my arms around. Yeah, that was rapid fire. No, it was go, great. Go it's, it's really, really good. I'm trying to get my arms around how to frame the question. Like what is, the question or what is the dilemma? What is it that we're struggling with, with this conversation he had, because it didn't set well with either one of us. Right. So the dilemma for me is, 
um, one, none of his argument can be discredited if you believe the Bible is entirely um, a, uh, in, inspired. Mm-hmm. You know, none of that. And that's that's not even just deep text stuff. That's the red letter Jesus sure, quotes. Sure. Um, and I believe that Francis Chan's heart is in the right, right place, too. He's not. I think we both agree with that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, then it becomes how could somebody who gets to the gates and, and they say, why should I let you in? And they say, because Jesus died for me. And then Jesus says, nope. See you later. And then you, you go away. And I think I think our first blush response was this sounds like the Old Testament. Yeah. It sounds like obedience is required for salvation. So then what exactly did Jesus do for us? This is my question. Mm-hmm. If 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 I'm still going to if my eternal destiny is still based on how well I obeyed Jesus, how's that different from the law? Exactly. That was my that was my kind of conflict was what changed then with the sacrifice of Jesus aside from the nitty-gritty, like aside from we don't need to actually do burnt offerings anymore or right, sacrifice right. animals anymore. Right. Um, because Jesus is our, is our sacrifice. But, uh, if you still need to, you know, then your answer at the gates would change. It was Jesus died for me and I right. was obedient for X number of years of my life. Right. And there will be no part of your answer into heaven. That is. And right. Exactly. I kicked some butt, man. Right. I was righteous dude. That'll never be part of your answer. But I, I'm sure, I mean, He's not wrong at all. So how does that work? Yeah, what's what's interesting is he's um, he's seeing the scriptures describe a kind of Christian. Mm-hmm. The Bible only knows one kind. Sure. And that's a kind that is fully surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, whose heart belongs to Christ, who are walking by the Spirit, not by the flesh, who are uh, seeking to be conformed into the image of Jesus, who are loving their enemies and praying for those who persecute them, who have money in its proper place. You know, the Bible calls us to this new life. But the thing is, it's not calling us to this new life so that we get to go to heaven when we die. Mm-hmm. That has been established. That Your sin has been forgiven. So, but there still is this call to a righteous life, to to follow the path of Jesus, to reflect Christ in your life. And so few of us do that. And there is clear where Jesus said uh, a couple of examples. He gives one of them where uh, they said, but, but Lord, we prophesied in your name. And he says away from me, I never knew you. So it's possible according to Jesus for someone to be used in a prophetic gift, or at least think they were Mm -hmm. and yet not be a Christian. Then the other one is Matthew 25. Matthew 25 has always been a a very fascinating thing and a little bit of stumbling block for me where Jesus talks about um, he, he will separate people like a, like a rancher or shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And he'll say to the goats away from me for I was in prison and you never visited me. I was sick and you never took care of me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was hungry and you didn't feed me. And they'll sure. go, when did we see you, Jesus? Right. And he say, well, you didn't do it for them. You didn't do it for me. Mm-hmm. And then he describes the sheep and says, you did this for me. You did this for me. You did this for me. <clears throat> and it appears in Matthew 25 in this long parable that the only distinction between a sheep and a goat is what they did or did not do 
for what we might call the quartet of the vulnerable, right. the orphan, the widow, the poor, uh, what they did not do. Mm-hmm. And so that appears to be a performance-based uh, entrance exam right. into eternity. And so uh, how would you reconcile that? Well, originally, I would reconcile it uh, in a way where, because they're in the early church, so really practical examples in, in Acts, um, you know, Paul gets to a church and there's a, um, a woman leader who's promoting promiscuity and, and kind of a, a debauched version of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and Paul really uh, shuts it down as best he can. I'm, I'm struggling to, to think of any quotes with it or even a, a passage, but there are examples of, of, um, of obscene, I- extreme examples of this, where people within the church are abusing that power or are even there because they know they can abuse that power. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the couple who uh, lied about how much, how they, much they actually, got for the property. Yeah. You have, uh, you have uh, in first Corinthians, he's writing to them because there's a man who is sleeping with his father's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, something that Paul says, even the pagans don't do that. Right. And um, yeah, so, so there are, so those extreme examples are what I would think when you think of, you know, uh, the goats or the, the mm-hmm. wolf in sheep's clothing. Mm-hmm. It's those. It's it's the the um, malevolent hearted, basically mm-hmm. the ill intended, not the people who are fat, dumb, and happy and lazy. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the. That's how I would have reconciled it, but it is convicting. Um, that the you know not out of context or anything. Yeah, these verses seem to speak to those people. Yeah, the the apathetic, um, you know, coasting ones are yeah. included in those goats. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> what I what I want to affirm in Francis Chan's message is that we are called by God to provoke one another to love and good deeds. Uh, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the habit of some is, but uh, all the more as you see the day approaching. And then he continues on, provoke one another with love and good deeds. The word provoke means to stab with a sharp stick. So, <laughs> when I see you... Um, behaving in an anti-Christ way. Mm-hmm. I am to provoke you toward Christ. Uh, we are to call one another to higher places of living out the kingdom now because sure. we all struggle. I mean, man, we all struggle. And so he is calling out people who are mocking the sacrifice of Jesus. It, it, what he's what he's frustrated by, and as a pastor, I can identify with this. He's frustrated by people who celebrate that their sin is forgiven and then live in every way that violates the heart of the one who died to pay for their sin. And so there, uh, there's, a, there's a mockery of this great price that was paid for you by dishonoring the one who paid it for you. Yeah, and that's actually another, another thing he brings up is he uh, references the garden and he says, you know, um, before Jesus... You're just grabbing whatever you want. Mm-hmm. I want this. I want this. I'm going to live this way. Mm-hmm. And he says again, uh, quoting just basic gospel of Jesus, is that you there is a turn involved in the conversion. It's mm-hmm. not just I am the same as I was plus Jesus. Right. It's born again. New person. Boy, and this is a huge deal just in our own ongoing mm-hmm. sanctification because for, and I would just say for most of us, mm-hmm. Um, we what we do, and I, and I think this is a real problem for how we're taught to live the Christian faith, 
is it feels like, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Now I've got this ticket I can use when I die. But until then, I just need to work as hard as I can at sin management Mm -hmm. and live as good a life as I possibly can with no expectation that I have divine help, supernatural power, and the opportunity to to be free from um, my past self. Sure. And so when it's one thing, you know, it's one thing to loathe your propensity for sin mm-hmm. and uh, the the tendency of your heart to desire what is wrong. Uh, it's one thing to loathe that. It's another thing to just sit there and enjoy it <laughs> and sure. say, thank you, Jesus, that I can sit here and enjoy my sin now. Right, sure. And that is what I think Francis is talking to is if you if you think that Jesus gave you a ticket and now it's party on Bart, I can eat, drink and be merry, you know, for tomorrow we die. You're missing what Christ did for you yeah. and, and what he, what he's asking of you. And so I think his question would be, mm-hmm. is it possible that you can celebrate your sin and know, truly know Jesus at the same time? Hmm. And so that scares him. Sure. That that you're living an illusion. And and so that frightens him. That that I can see uh more, but his example wasn't necessarily that they're still living in sin. It was a, a it seemed to me a kind of lack of um motivation or agency. Mm-hmm. That you're just um and, and in a way this it it is still sin, but just that you are uh, head down in the physical world. You're mm-hmm. thinking about your, you know, normal. You're thinking of your, co- your kids' college plans and, yeah. and, and the next house you want to get. You know, just just normal stuff. And you're not stopping to to read. He brought up the scripture constantly. Yeah, that uh, um, uh, just feasting on scripture is what is how he, um, I guess, got to not got to where he is in a sense like that. But but that is what that is what separates the people who he wants his. Uh, followers to be the people of the church to be and not be well certainly when you when when you stare at the scriptures particularly the new testament and both the teachings of jesus and then the epistles Mm -hmm. and you see the christianity described there and you look honestly in the mirror at your own christianity you're going to see a gap Hmm. Uh, i think yeah do you do you think so (laughs) definitely okay so i i I was. I thought of a few. You can continue, but basically, there are like legends. You know, like you talk about a pastor. Oh, sure. Uh, just, just uh, even nowadays, like um, I can. I have a very short list of. I know many extraordinary people, and then I have a short list of people who I think are um, above and beyond. Mm. And so, when I think, what if those are the only people who get into heaven? That's that's the frightening thing here. That is a terrifying thought. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, continue. That's a little tangent. Well, I think. I think the gap that he sees between what Christ is calling us to and what we're actually living terrifies him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's no longer a pastor of a church. Right. And I think this is one of the reasons why is he was terrified that he was drawing crowds, encouraging consumer Christianity Mm -hmm. and maybe misleading people. And so, uh, so that's a terrifying thing. You know, he mentions in there, I don't want you to live in your sin, disobedient right. to God, come to church, go home feeling better, like, wow, that was so encouraging. I'm so excited about the Lord and about church. While you continue to live in sin, 
with disregard to the call of Christ on your life. Mm-hmm. That terrifies him, and he thinks there might be a precipitous damnation awaiting someone who does that. Yeah. One of the things, because um, in a lot of ways, that's that's convicting stuff. Just the, that that cycle yeah. of yeah. go to church, feel good, go home, do whatever you right. want to do. Anyway. Right. Um, I forget the where it is, but the passage, you know, um, that God will not be mocked at the end of the day. You can't just abuse his sacrifice and get away with it. Right. Um, but he's not mocked by punishing you. You know, that's not how he's not mocked. No, but he, he's not mocked by... Um, because the outcomes of your life, are the, the proof's going to be in the pudding. But you're not tricking him, I think is what he's going to say. Is, is, is that you can't just say that you accept that sacrifice, live your life how you want, and then get there and be okay, mm-hmm. right? Is That's that, the whole James argument, right? you know, where James says, uh, show me your faith by what you say, I'll show you mine by what I do. You say, I believe in the Lord. Well, big deal, even the devil believes in Jesus and shudders at his name. Hmm. So yeah, clearly there's a level of belief that is not just belief, uh, mental assent, but is a, I put my life on this. Yeah, I bow my knee to the to the lordship of this that that's the kind of belief that the scriptures describe. So is it as simple then as, as faith first works? Is that what this conversation kind of boils down to? Or? Well, I think that, um, not that that's a simple dilemma, but that's, that's been had before. <laughs> it's been around since the new Testament. Well, I would say, you know, the issues that arise for me is, you know, because he's talking about people going to hell. Mm-hmm. And so the question that that first brings up is what is it that keeps someone out of hell and is my level of obedience a factor in my eternal destiny? And I have to say, that's question one, and absolutely not. Your, hmm. your, um, your sin management is not a factor in your eternal destiny. That's the law. That's the Old Testament. That is, if you will, God will forgive you. The New Testament is, God has already accomplished the righteousness required of you, and appropriated that to you. Mm-hmm. You are credited for a righteousness you did not achieve right. that Christ achieved for you. And that's a done deal. That is done by faith. So if I believe my sin has been forgiven because Jesus paid it all. I mean, I don't know how you embrace something that incredible mm-hmm. without humility, gratitude, right? Right. So, uh, so what we're at, what we're really talking about in the eternal destiny question to me is belief, faith, and trust in that. Sure. That is all that's required for my eternity. Then what we're talking about next is what is the impact of that on a person's life? Yeah. Is it possible they could believe all of that, taste and see the goodness of God, drink deeply from the grace of a crucified savior and still live their lives with total disregard for his will for them? Is that even possible? That's the question. That's the second question. Mm -hmm. And so what he's saying is you may think that you have trusted in his grace, but clearly your behavior bears no fruit, no indication, no sign of being a person who's been born again. Right. But so, so I, I've known people who, um, profess are professing Christians. Mm hmm. Um, and who acted very much like anyone else I've ever met. You know, just a normal... Sure. Um, saying stupid things, not becoming of a Christian, um, 
a- a- anything on that list, sleeping with their girlfriend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, or be racist or be yeah, ha- hateful. hateful, angry, rude. Yeah. Yeah. That one less so, actually. They weren't racist. No. <laughs> it has to, <laughs> to, to give them something. But I also believe that they truly believed Jesus was the Son of God and that he died for them. So um, should my assumption be that they didn't actually believe that? Well, I'm going to contend that um, never, Mm. like never, should a person try to discern the eternal destiny of another person. Right. I think that is an absolute waste of time. There's no way we even know what we're talking about mm-hmm. because we can't read a person's heart. We do not know their relationship with God. So the only person I could know that about is me. Mm-hmm. So I think um, um, using mental energy to discern somebody else's eternal destiny is a trap. There's no way you're going to get that right. And um, that's this whole conversation, isn't it? It is, and that's why I think it's the wrong conversation. Hmm. And I will tell you what I think the right conversation is after this conversation. after this break. So I want to make sure, John, though, that we're answering yeah. what you're wrestling with, and that and that your question from this, because I I don't want to get this wrong between you and me. You know what what you're what you're uh, wrestling with, and maybe as I right. tell you what I think the answer is, uh, you'll go okay, yeah, but I still have this question. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. So uh, we had a, for the month of September, we had uh, a challenge to to have people comment, send us emails, uh, communicate with us, and then we would uh, draw a name for a free copy of The Pursuit, which is a book that Jim and John wrote together. We wrote it together uh, last year. It came out in January. It is a really cool 40-day personal study with reflection questions, memory verses, and even small group conversation questions to help somebody process through what we believe are 40 essential biblical tenets of faith. Mm-hmm. So it's a great, uh, I think it's a great discipleship tool to use in a family. I think it's a great process for someone to go through who's wrestling with what they think about biblical Christianity. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're pretty proud of it. Yeah. And uh, it's almost like a like just like a biblical kind of catechism, just a really, that's a great word. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I understood that word <laughs> so far this episode, you haven't used a word. I don't understand. So you oh, gotta, to, you gotta up your deep. game. Yeah. Uh, I upped my game up yours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, dumb joke, dumb dad joke. You've yeah. heard a thousand times. So, um, so we have a, we have a winner. Yeah. Our winner is Sherry L. That's sent awesome. In, yeah, sent in our topic. Actually, we talked about it with um, uh, family and uh, oh, that's and right. Children who, yeah, yeah. We she actually requested a discussion for us to have, and we had it. And I absolutely, I actually saw her after that, and she said it, it was very helpful for her. So awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. So man, we love uh, listener feedback and communication. And Sherry, we're going to have the book sent out to you, um, ASAP. And we're even going to make it an autographed copy. So. Oh. That might add two cents worth of value to that at some yeah, point in your maybe. life. Might devalue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might be desecrating it. Yeah, uh, we'll do it in the back flap. That yeah, way, it's not. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, we don't uh, we don't have a raffle going on now, but still, the feedback is incredibly important. And especially if you have a topic you want us to talk about, we, we would love very that. Seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So be sure and subscribe 
and whatever platform you're using to hear this podcast. Yeah, just hit that follow button. That helps us a lot to see um, kind of our, our figures. It's uh, it, You may have noticed on your software, you can never see how many people have listened to a podcast episode. So it's kind of hard for us to um, to quantify mm-hmm. who we're reaching. So that mm-hmm. helps us a lot if you hit that follow button. And if you're uh, connecting with us through uh, Instagram, yep. uh, email at info, in, info at jimandjohn.com. Yep, no H in the John. No H in the John. Uh, and yeah, but just by, by listening, you're doing us a huge favor. Yeah, we're grateful. All right, so uh, back to our delicate conversation here. So right. um, I think uh, the answer to me is... Um, let's understand the grace of God first. So the first question is, how do I know if I'm going to heaven? Mm-hmm. How do a person get to heaven? And sin management is no part of that equation. That's called the Old Testament law. Hmm. The good news about Christ is that God has done for you what you simply could not do on your own. Right. And so um, all of this leads me to what I think is the broader conversation that needs to happen here. And what's being described for us, what 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 I think Francis Chan is calling us to, mm-hmm. and what I as a pastor beg us to move into, is the Romans 7, Romans 8 journey. In Romans 7, there's this part where Paul says, man, wretched man that I am, the things I don't want to do, I keep doing them. And the things <laughs> I want to do, I don't do, right? We can all identify with that. Yeah. And he says, uh, wretched man that I am, who can save me? from this body of sin and death. Mm -hmm. And he answers his own question. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's who can save me. Mm -hmm. Romans 8, 1 then, next verse. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful man to be a, uh, a, a, an agency of forgiveness for him. Right. Mm -hmm. Then it goes on to describe that those who walk by the spirit, not by the flesh for the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't obey God. It does whatever it wants. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. And he says, if you don't have the spirit, you're not even a Christian, because this is what happens when you're born again is God places his spirit in you. And now you're called to walk by the spirit, not by the flesh. So in my mind, Romans 7 is what the struggle is like before you're a Christian. Romans 8 is the life that God is inviting you to as a Christian. He pours his spirit in your life, and he invites you to live a new life. Yeah, Our bar is so low on what we think the Christian life can be. We, we stay stuck in sin management. We're still stuck in Romans 7 mm-hmm. when God has invited us to live a transformed life. And so uh, what, what, I, what I think the conversation needs to be is not, hey, are you going to go to heaven when you die? Are you sure? Are you sure? sure. Like, are you sure you're obedient enough to God? He, he's, you're really obedient. Are you sure you're going to go to heaven? That's an Old Testament question. Right. Yes, I'm going to heaven. Christ died for me, and I, I believe that. Well, then let's get on with a different question. Let's stop asking the eternal destiny one, and let's ask the living one. Because what's going to happen is if you don't walk by the Spirit, if you set your mind on the things that the flesh desires, mm-hmm. you don't have to go to hell to live in hell. You're going to live it right here. You're going to still be wrapped in anxiety. You're going to still be trapped in your sin. Uh, Jesus said, you are a slave to the one you obey. So uh, so what What I want to say, now I'm not going to speak for Francis Chan because he's not here and I don't, I don't know. 
What I want to say is, don't worry about the eternal destiny question. Put your trust in Christ. He took care of that. Now, I'm not going to obey God so that I get to go to heaven when I die. Mm-hmm. I'm going to obey God because he's put his spirit in me to help me to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And as I set my mind on what the spirit desires and I live in the power of the spirit of God in me, I get to live a new life and it's a way better life. It's an incredible life. It's still one of struggle and strife and I still have, uh, I need the spirit's help to overcome my temptation to sin and my desire to sin. But it's not about, I got to make sure I cross enough boxes so God's not mad enough to send me to hell. Sure. So, uh, I, the defense of that, not not wondering, is that person going to go to hell or not, but the, the introspective one. I think the reason uh, that it is brought up, which people are going to heaven or hell or not, is because we're all, we want to know if we are, right? Yes. So uh, so you would say, cause just, to, just to clarify, the mm-hmm. question is uh, about the eternal destiny. Yes. And the stance that was taken in the video was, there is extra requirements and you say no there is not no there are not there are extra outcomes that are normative and natural to the person who has surrendered their life to Christ uh, it is it is nat, it is supernaturally natural right the fruit of the tree reveals the nature of the tree and so how can Christ transform the insides of me but I'm still bearing the same nasty fruit I've always borne. Sure. The Bible would say that's not possible. Gotcha. So what So what I would encourage, if somebody says to you, hey, do you think that guy's going to go to heaven? Do you think somebody who's uh, married a same-sex person is going to go to heaven? Your answer should be, I don't have any idea and don't want to waste my time trying to figure that sure. out. I have one question. Am I going to go to heaven? Mm-hmm. And my question for them is not, are they going to go to heaven or hell? My question for them is, are they living out the incredible thing God has in store for them and how can I help them move toward Jesus? Mm-hmm. So I think you may be right that people say, is that person going to go to heaven or hell so they can calibrate their own sense of eternal destiny? Well, and I'm sure sometimes it's a, maybe a self-righteous thing or a judgmental thing, judgmental thing yeah. but I, I think you're probably right. Let's say 80% of them ask because man, I really want to make sure I'm going to heaven. Yeah. Well then let's just speak to that. Hey, do you think you're going to go to heaven? Why or why not? Mm-hmm. And people will always want, my experience, when you ask somebody that question, if you were to die today and you stood before God and he said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? I'm telling you, John, I've done this on street corners in three major cities with video cameras with me. 99 people out of 100 will say, I've been a pretty good person. They will go straight to the behavior compass and they're evaluating that, based on the law. It's that big a majority. It's that it's that big every time. Huh. It's rare for someone will say not one out of ten will say one out of a hundred will say Jesus died for me. You shouldn't let me into heaven, but Christ paid for my sin, so you should let me in because I'm I've got the righteousness of Jesus over my life. Hmm. That's the only answer. Sure. And uh, most people still think it's a performance game even Christians. And so what we're doing is we're saying, why then did Jesus have to die? Because if it's about you being able to live a a good enough, obedient life, why does his death on the cross do a thing for you? Right. He did on the cross what you cannot do. 
So the mentioned briefly the faith of that without works thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's John, right? I, uh, James. James. Thank yeah. you. Um, bring, he use, uses the word uh, consummation, like the same way that you consummate a marriage. You consummate your faith with your works. It's the it's the fruition of that. Yeah, he would say, and this is the really the Francis. This is right back to Francis Chan. Mm-hmm. Um, he says you have this kind of faith, and he says, can that say faith save you? And it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no, it cannot. Hmm. And what he's saying is that the kind of faith that can save you is the kind that changes you. Hmm. So. Um, Man, another classic example. Uh, I, this may be the best illustration of this. Um, is a guy who who either beats or cheats on his wife, and he tells her every time, "I'm so sorry. Uh, I love you. I love you." And then he cheats on her again. Sure, I love you. And he cheats on her again. Do you think that kind of love makes a marriage? And the answer is no. Right. Right. And and her friends and her family will tell her, "Leave this guy." And what will they say? He does not love you. Mm-hmm. And they would be right. So this is what the faith works question is. Can a faith that doesn't do a dang thing for God. Right. Or in fact does what God hates. Right. Can that faith save you? And the answer is that's not even faith. That is, if I may say so myself, rock solid. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll end there. That that. For me, if I can be selfish, yeah, that kind of is the the answer. I think I think it's certainly helpful, and I do have a deep belief, and I could be wrong about this because I am a I'm a small major a small minority on this. Mm. I have a deep belief that us asking the question "Who's going to be saved" is an absolute waste of time, and it might even be a trick of the devil to get us to chase our tail about nothing. Sure. Because Jesus is crystal clear about that. We are born again by the living and enduring sacrifice of Jesus for our sin, period. You can talk then about, well, hey, how can we live our lives as Christ would have us by the power of his spirit now that we are saved? Mm -hmm. But there's no other answer to the question, what does it take to get eternal life? Jesus Christ. John three sixteen. He, I know that he referred later down to John th- uh, three. I think it was about thirty three or so. Yeah. But in three seventeen, Jesus says, "For the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might have life in His name." And so I don't want to waste my time condemning people who may not measure up to what I perceive should be a, an appropriate response to faith. Sure. I want to just call us all to a closer walk with Jesus, letting, you know, being John the Baptist, hey, I must decrease, he must increase, more of him, less of me. Praise God for his grace. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm sure you guys could tell, but we are big Francis Chan fans. Yes, we are. So this is, on this point, we disagree. Um, But we know that for this uh, video, he was trying to, he's trying to save people. Yeah, he, he probably would say that we're all saying the same thing, we're just saying it different. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, we hope you guys appreciated this one. It's a little heavier than normal, maybe, but yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I personally took a lot away from that. So yeah, me too. I'm uh, man. I love the grace of God. 
I'm so thankful, so thankful that my performance is not the measuring stick because I will lose every time. Yes. Praise God for his grace. Hey, we love you guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you.